0: Welcome to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church. This goes right along with uh, where we started last week in the series, Changes or Choices, uh, Changes and Chosen. And um, last week we spoke a lot about Moses and his choices. He chose rather to suffer affliction. It's on SoundCloud thanks to. Alec, and uh, you can always go back there and hear that that message. Um, And uh, we dealt out of Hebrews 11, the life experience of Moses, a great deal in that. Today is going to fall more in line with the changes part of this. And um, but I, oops, I want to pick up. This is kind of the the key verse for this whole series is out of Matthew 16, 24 to 26. It says, then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Let that soak in. Jesus has gone to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, I am. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. I know suffering is a very touchy subject and it's it's a very... Challenging subject to teach accurately, and um, because some people want to make the Christian life nothing but suffering, and they make and therefore they take they take such a hard slant on suffering that they actually remove the joy from this life. But but the fact is there there is a element of suffering by virtue of the fact that we are making choices. See, the only thing you really own in life are the choices you make. So you can't run from suffering because when you make choices, like we talked about last week, when Moses made a choice to go with Israel, he was saying yes to God and he was saying no to the world. So there was a certain amount of suffering involved. He suffered with the people of God. It says he chose rather to suffer with the people of God, rather enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. It's a powerful principle that whenever you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. That just a, you can't have, listen, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. That American form of, of whatever is, is wrong. If you want to eat your cake, eat it, enjoy it. But then know this, after you've ate it, it's gone. And so if you want to hold on to it, hold on to it. Or if you don't want it at all, bring it to me, I'll take care of it. <laughs> he said, don't run from suffering, embrace it. Everybody say, embrace it. Embrace Follow me and I'll show you how. So that's, that's what Jesus is doing. He's showing us how to embrace things. Most of us spend most of our lives trying to escape things and run away from things. Jesus shows us how to embrace things so we can actually filter through what is worth holding on to and what we need to let go of. Can I just say this to you this morning with all of my heart? Notice I'm not screaming and I'm not yelling. I'm telling you something that's so true that you need to hear it, not the theatrics around it. That, when, that, that, that when, you make, when you make choices, when you make the right choices, follow me and I'll show you. When you embrace The Lord Jesus Christ, when you embrace the right choices in your life, it, it teaches you the things that you should hold on to and the things that you should let go of. And the problem is we get it messed up because some of us are holding on to things that we should let go and we're letting go of things that we should be holding on to. Like Esau, remember when Esau got rid of his, let go of his birthright for a bowl of soup? But I've seen people trade for less. And so we need to learn what's worth holding on to. What's worth holding on to is Jesus and, and honor and and, and, and Courage. And the world will tell you, let go of that and grab hold of this momentary pleasure. And so you see, he says, self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself. You find out what his values are. When his values become your values, you really find yourself. Now, what he says here, though, is what kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? In the King James, it says this. This is the Passion Translation. In the King James, it says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? So if you lose yourself in the process of getting everything you want, what's the point? What could you ever trade your soul for? I mean, I, I did it in my early days as a young person. I traded myself, lost myself, chasing after foolishness, pleasures, and momentary momentary. Th- things that, that, that uh, shined because the devil will always promise you in, t- in temptation something that will fulfill you and satisfy you. But really the truth is when the devil promises you this will fulfill you and, and, and satisfy you, what it really is going to do is it's going to enslave you and deceive you. That's a good word right there, Pastor Mike. Not too many people really want to think about that, but what would you tra- what will you trade for your soul? Will you hold on to your, your your self, your your life, the things that are really important, your 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 self respect? Let me just say to you, young people, the temptation today is such a, in, a, in such a sensual world is to is to sell your virginity, sell your purity for a momentary pleasure. But if you will hold on to that purity before God, God will make it worth your while. And God will set you on a hill and he will show you off because if you hold on to yourself and you keep yourself pure and keep yourself from this world like that, God will set you up and bless you like you have never known before. And so I, I, I just feel like we need to talk about these things. We need to talk about... These choices that we're making. So, and, and today that's what my plan is. So write this down. Life is composed of your choices. Notice that uh, this word composed is like a, like a, a composition in, in a written form is made up of many words. A composition in a, musically, uh, in a musical sense is, is notes, many notes that are composed to make a song. Your life is composed of your choices, many choices, not just one, not just two, not just three, but there's many choices that that compose your life. Your life is composed of your choices, and how many of you know that choices make, make big differences in your life? Who you marry, what you decide to do with your life, where you decide to live how you decide to serve and, and, and what you give yourself into. All of these decisions lay big into your life. And you can make good decisions and you can make bad decisions. You can make good and bad decisions. You ever heard a song that you, before, and you said, well, I like that part of the song, but that song stinks. That's kind of like our lives sometimes. You know, I, I really like this, but I don't like this. Well, if you don't like the song, then change your choices. All right, get this. Write this one down, 1 Corinthians six twelve. This is really, 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 really good. Freedom is a choice. Not, 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 not that you got, not, see, we're blessed because we have the freedom to choose. But let me ask you this question. With the freedom to choose, how many choose freedom? All righty then, so going right on. It's true, now listen, this is 1 Corinthians six twelve. It's true that our freedom allows us to do anything. This was a, this was a statement that was going around in the, in, the, in the city of Corinth especially, which was a city given over to ungodliness, immorality, uh, lasciviousness, or that's a fan, lasciviousness is a $3 word for loose living, just living any old way. The scripture calls it lasciviousness. It's, it's just loose living, And so he says, the the saying that going around the Corinthian church was, I'm free to do whatever I want. Does it sound like any other culture you're a part of today? I'm free. Don't judge me. Don't you judge me. And the church is listening, and so we don't say much about anything, because we're not going to judge. Of course, Jesus said, judge righteous judgment. Moving right along. It's true that our freedom allows us to do anything. Think about this. Under the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is great freedom. But it's always freedom that's ruled and guided and guarded by the ultimate principle, which is love. Whoo. So if you're saying, I'm free to do whatever I want but it doesn't fall into love uh, under the love category, then it's not really freedom. It's probably bondage. Because there's a difference between love and lust. For God so loved the world that he... For God so loved that he... Love always is giving. Lust is always about getting, taking... We're making a composition here. So true freedom says I can do anything, but look at what it says. But that doesn't mean that everything we do is good for us. Whoo. I'm free to do as I choose, but I choose to never be enslaved to anything. See, because here's the thing. Every choice you make carries with it consequences, we always talk about choices but we seldom talk about the consequences whether intended or unintended consequences. You are free to make your choices but you are not free from the consequences. Say amen, Pastor Mike. Amen. Y'all notice I'm just calm, I'm not mad. Huh? I'm not preaching screaming like an idiot. See, I'm free. But I can I can I can pretty much do anything. I'm free. But my freedom ends when it hurts somebody else. My freedom ends when I realize that the consequences, whether intended or unintended, come as a result of what I do. So if I, if I do what I want to do, and I realize, I, we, and most of us don't, Honestly, how many of us really think about the consequences until later? Well, if I'd have known that, I might not have done that. If I'd have known that, I wouldn't have hit Mario. He just plain put a whooping on me. (laughs) If I'd have known he was going to do that, I probably wouldn't have swung at him. The consequences. But see, we're free to make choices. But you're not free from the consequences. God made us free. He, he says you do, you, you, you're, you're a free moral agent. You have a will. Everybody, everybody here has a will, you right? And you have the freedom to do with it what you want. I'm going to move. I could spend time here, but I'm not. Everything God does is according to principles. Now stay with me here. It says in Deuteronomy 28one 1-2, it shall come to pass... If you diligently obey, everybody say obey. Obey. So when it comes to choices, we have the opportunity to be diligent and obey the voice of the Lord your God. Because God is always speaking to us about decisions, direction, about choices. And he says if you observe carefully all his commandments. So God has principles, commandments, precepts, laws. Many, I'm not talking just about the law of Moses either. There are laws written into life. The law of uh, gravity. You know, if, if you climb up to the top of the ceiling here on a ladder and you decide, hallelujah, I'm going to jump off and you talk in tongues the whole way down. The law of, the, the law of gravity still probably says when you hit the ground, you're going to feel something. You're going to get the consequences of that. Now, if God tells you to to throw yourself down, jump. But if you're you're being presumptuous and you're just doing something, the consequences of breaking the law of gravity, gravity, which is what comes up, must come down. There's laws uh, laws of nature. The law of sowing and reaping. Farmers trust that law. They're getting ready now. I mean, many of them are already planting. Up here, around here, I've seen on my way to Westfield Monday night, I saw hundreds and hundreds of acres that are already planted. I'm like, wow, these guys are on it. It doesn't feel like spring, I know, and it doesn't seem like, you know, it really doesn't seem like you should be working when there's snow on the ground. Like last week, how many remember? I'm, I'm, I'm going and there was a light snow on the ground and they're plowing the ground. And, but you know what that farmer knows? He knows it's going to get warmer. And he knows that seed that he puts in the ground after he tills that soil is going to produce. And he's banking on the law of sowing and reaping. Now, he, can't, he cannot work against that law. So he sows now, he weeds it through the summers and stuff, and then in the fall, guess what happens? Harvest. Harvest. It's a law. It comes to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. That works, in, that works in life too, the law. Paul used that law of sowing and reaping to teach us about spiritual principles, did he not? Did he not? Because what works in the in the natural works in the spiritual. Hey, let's let me talk to you kids a second. So let's say this. What would you think of a farmer who knowing that spring is here? says, you know, I don't really feel like going out in the field today. I think I'm going to go uh, play some pool. And tomorrow I'm going to play video games. And the next day it'll be I hear it's going to be 80. I'm going go to I'm gonna go to the beach. And next week I've got plans to go to the amusement park. And, and let's say he carries on like that all spring into midsummer and it's late in the summer. And all of a sudden, the reality is, I haven't planted any seed, and it's August. What do you think he's going to, do you think it's going to do any good for him to run out, plow the ground, plant seed, and hopes that, that he can circumvent the law of sowing and reaping and get a quick harvest? We would call that foolish. Careful over there, y'all. Mean. <laughs> I heard that. So like, let's say school. Let's say you don't listen to your teacher all semester. And then all of a sudden it's finals. And now it's like, I got to stay up all night and read this book. What do you call that? Foolish. Foolish. Because the idea is to master the subject not just pass a test. I wonder how many believers are just trying to pass a test and really not master the subject. Y'all getting quiet on me. Don't y'all go Presbyterian on me. Come on, let's have some fun here. I'm just telling you the truth. So it, Now here's what he says. Everything God does is according to principles. God is always true to his word. God is always true. The Bible says he watches over his word to perform it. God is always faithful to his principles, his precepts, his commandments. He says, and also I love here how he ties it into the voice. See, a lot of people, they really study the written word of God, but they are not adept at hearing the voice of the Lord as he breathes that word into life. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. The proceeding word is how God takes his written principles, his written precepts, his written word, and he breathes it into your life. And when the Holy Spirit breathes a word into you, obey it. Because he's about to do something amazing As you obey, because what God does is He answers in answer to His principles. Look at what it says God will set you high above the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. If we're not on high, if these blessings aren't coming on us, if we're not seeing God set us above the nations of the earth, what does that say? Is God's, is God's word a lie? All right, let's move on. Everything God does is according to principles. Now, this one's really powerful. Oops. All of life is based on those principles and follows patterns. Hebrews 8, 1 to 2, and verse 5 says this. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heavens, a minister of the tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, now watch this, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Everything God does is in alignment with principles and according to patterns. Patterns are like blueprints. So, like a blueprint, I, I used to build, okay, I used to build houses. And people would bring me their prints, and they would, some of them were custom-drawn, their dream houses. I was I was blessed to build some. Uh, the most expensive house I ever built was $1.7 million. That was the value of the house when it was done. This guy had these prints custom made. It was his dream home. And uh, he brought me these blueprints. And I looked at it and I thought, well, and these blueprints, it was very impressive. And, um, and uh, in a very impressive neighborhood, and, and everything was very impressive. And the blueprints were even impressive. Usually I would get, a lot of houses I built uh, had five pages to the blueprints. This, This had 25 pages. The detail work was very, very exact. Detail on everything inside the house and outside the house. How many of you know God has details about his house, his tabernacle? When he gave Moses, listen, God only, God only gave us Genesis 1 and chapter 2 about all of creation, creating the heavens and the earth. And he gave the whole book of Exodus and, and, and a lot of the book of Deuteronomy and, and Leviticus about the patterns and things that he wanted done that pertain to the tabernacle and the sacrifices of the tabernacle. God was very particular. He did everything according to a pattern. The pattern is not the thing But it tells you how to get to the thing. The blueprint is not the house, but it tells you how you're going to get from nothing to the house by following the prints and doing what the blueprint says to do because that's the pattern. And if you do your job right when you get done, the house looks just like the pattern. Let me tell you something. God has a pattern for the church today. But I'm afraid that I'm not so sure that the church looks like God's pattern. I'm not being negative. I'm just telling you a lot of what we see in church is man made, man inspired, man fed, man led. and the church is a spiritual organization or better yet it's an organism and just if you if you think you can you can lay out God's church and say this is exactly and you decide this is what's going to be in it and this is what's not I mean we got people today that say you know we're not going to have this in the church well let me tell you something if it if it was in the pattern it should be in the church I know I I get criticized too. They go, are you one of them churches that believes in healing? Yes. Are you one of them churches that believes in the gifts of the spirit? Yes. Are you one of them churches that talks in tongues? Yes. Because it's all in the pattern. And if you have trouble with that, take it up with the architect. Yeah, but I like everything neat and in order. Well, go to the graveyard. It's all real neat and orderly over there. But wherever God is, it seems to be somewhat crazy. You can't tell me that the day of Pentecost wasn't crazy. Woo-hoo. But see, if we build according to the pattern, Now he says this, he says, everything was made according to the pattern shown to Moses on the mountain. Now, the writer of Hebrews, if you follow this out, is telling us that Moses got his pattern for his tabernacle, and Jesus has his pattern for his tabernacle, which is the church, and that if we will follow Jesus' pattern, which Jesus' pattern can be a lot different than our pattern. He said, Pastor Mike, I'm not sure I like Jesus' pattern. Pattern, because it involves all kinds of sacrifice and, and all kinds of, of, of laying yourself down. J- didn't Jesus tell you if you're gonna do this, you gotta let me drive? You gotta get out of the driver's seat and you gotta let me get behind the wheel. And I say, Jesus, take the wheel, glory to God. I say, Jesus, get me out of the way. Jesus, do something in your church because His house is supposed to be a house of prayer. So isn't it funny that in the most churches, you'll find everything in the world going on, fashion shows, all kinds of, oh, God, help me, Jesus. And you won't find a prayer meeting. And Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Jesus said, if you want to see my house, my people are praying. Jesus said, I am the intercessor. I'm seated on the right hand of the Father. And if you want to see what my church is doing, look at me because they're following me. But if you and I aren't doing what Jesus is doing, maybe we're following the wrong pattern. Whew. Now I've commenced to meddling. A.W. Tozer said this, or no, it was Ian Bounds. He He said, men keep looking for better methods. God keeps looking for better men. He wants to make us according to the pattern. He wants to make the church according to the pattern. If the church isn't looking like the pattern, then we need to stop and say, what's wrong here? I'm here to just tell you, my heart breaks because we're, 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 we're the house of oil and wine. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes the last place you can find oil and wine is in church. Right. You can find tradition. You can find a bunch of stuffy people. You can find a bunch of self-righteous judgment but that heart that's been applied with and rubbed down with the oil of God, just oozing with the anointing, filled with the wine of heaven, joy is your portion. You're just loving Jesus and having fun. And people say, oh, leave him alone. He'll come down and be like the rest of us short, shortly. And I'm telling you, God wants to do this based on the pattern. I'm challenging you with this because I'm going to ask you about your life. Is your life following God's pattern? Let's just talk about your personal life. Is your personal life matching to God's pattern? God's pattern is Jesus. Amen, Pastor Mike. Amen. Amen. Because what you're doing is you're making choices that make and shape to the pattern. Now listen to this. Once you make a choice, you become the servant to that choice. Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey his servants you are to whom you obey, whether sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. See, you know what he says? Once you yield yourself, whichever it is, death or life, obedience or, or, or uh, to righteousness or sin unto death, once you make that choice, you become the servant of that choice. If you want to change your life, then you have to change your choices. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. You have obeyed from the heart. Everybody say from the heart. From the heart. See, because this is all always forever and was supposed to ever be about the heart. It's always been about the heart in God's, in God's estimation. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. And when you obey from the heart, that teaching, don't let that word doctrine mess with you because people go, oh, that doctrine stuff, it's so, it's so dry and dead. No, teaching is life because G- the word is Jesus. Jesus is the word. And when Jesus is taught and communicated in relationship, it comes alive for people. And so here's, here's where I wanted to get to. So I wanna, I, I, I'm going to have to go back sometime next week or something and share more about that. But here, turn with me. We're going to close at 1 John 2, 1 and 2. I want them to get ready to serve communion. Get ready. My little children, believers, dear ones, this is from the Amplified, I am writing you these things so that you will not sin and violate God's law. Do you see this? Why is he writing this? So we won't fall into sin. Violate God's principles. Violate God's law. But if anyone sins... He, he, he acknowledges the fact that we miss the mark sometimes. We do. Everybody say yes. yes. We do. The, J, John says if any man says I have no sin, he's deceived. He's a liar. The truth isn't in him. But he's not giving us an excuse to sin. Are you with me? What he's saying is if anyone sins, we have an advocate. So the idea here isn't to give you an excuse or a license to sin. It's to show you the way out. It's show you how, how you have victory over it. Jesus' whole life was a demonstration or a pattern of how we get victory over sin, how we get free, how we walk in the freedom of God. Now, here's what it says. It says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate. Everybody say advocate. What an advocate is, is like an attorney. If you've ever been in trouble before, you know that that, that you should hire yourself a good attorney because a good attorney is hired so he he can intercede for you or represent you. Brad, Brad, we were at at Kimbrough the other night with the men, and Brad was up sharing. He goes, he was talking about his experience when he went to court, and he got appointed a public defender, which they call them pretenders. (laughs) Because here your life is is in the hands of some people here who are going to decide your fate And so you think about it, a public defender is somebody who, he has no interest in you. He has no interest in your case per se. All he's there is because the court appointed him and he's going through the motions because he has to get this job done so he can get the better job. Hello? But what he's saying here, he says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate. Now listen to me, this is where I wanted to get today as we get ready to take communion. The fact of the matter is, church, when it comes to our lives, we are all guilty. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Can you say amen? amen. There's, there's not a person here that can stand before God on our merit or what we have done. And so we are all guilty. If anyone sins, he's like, anyone? Yeah, that's me. Anyone. And so but he says, I have an advocate. Now I have someone who will intercede for me. Now Jesus wasn't a public defender. He wasn't just somebody appointed who has no real interest in, and, and and comes in. You know, I was in a I was in a court situation uh, some time ago. And I had to I had to hire an attorney. And uh and The reason my attorney was there to represent me is because I paid him. Hello? And he drives in. I I met him outside before we went into court, and we were going to have this hearing, and uh, I was going to make my case to the judge. And uh, he drives in in his 7 Series BMW that I helped pay for. And... um, You know, he's got his $3,000 Armani suit on. And I really had a hard time thinking this guy could relate to me and my need because here I was, I was making a petition out of my want, out of of a need. And it, it was something that I had been entitled to but I was denied of. And I really had a hard time but we go in and he represented me and And I actually won the case, and and I thanked him and wrote him another check. But you see, what I want you to see this morning is that your advocate did not ride in on a 7 Series BMW. His whole idea of coming was to come lower. The Bible says he was made a little lower than the angels. And he came As the low man, think about it, in his birth, he was the king of heaven and he came born and lived in a manger as he was laid in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. He was lower. And And then he had to flee from that place because a high and mighty man lied and deceived and said, let me know where he is. I want to come and worship him too. And our advocate lived his life his first years of his life on the run. There's nothing lower than being a fugitive and trying to s- escape. And then he went out into ministry, public ministry. And he didn't come for the rich. He didn't come for the healthy. What does the Bible say? I didn't come for the, I didn't come for the, the, the healthy. I came for the sick. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And how Jesus did that is he humbled himself. He got lower still and he went around ministering from the lower place. He humbled himself, Paul wrote in the Philippians, and he humbled himself and humbled himself, and he he humbled himself so bad that there were times when he would get down on his knees and he would wash his disciples' feet. That's how low he would get. He would see a woman taken in adultery where he could have judged her for her sin, but instead he got down in the dirt. He got lower than even she was, and when when the accusers through began to th- set her up for stoning they said he looked at them and he said let the one of you that's without sin throw the first stone and they all had to drop the rocks because they knew they they had, they, did, they had no purity from which to throw that stone and then Jesus reached down from his lower place and he picked her up and he said neither do I condemn you go and sin no more you see our advocate Didn't come in on a 7 Series BMW. He came from the lowest and went lower and lower and lower. Until they finally gave him a trial of criminals. And they lied on him. And they lied against him. And they set up false witnesses. And they did everything they could to kill him. And the Bible says like a lamb led to the slaughter is dumb. He didn't open his mouth. Not one time did Jesus defend himself, not one time did Jesus argue, not one time did Jesus assert himself and say, who do you think you are? They mocked him, they scorned him, he got lower, lower, they gambled for his garments, they put stripes on his back, and every time they peeled it off, a little more of his flesh came off and exposed the blood and the love that he had for us. We have an advocate with the Father. No, he didn't come in on a 7 Series BMW, and he didn't go out on one either. He went down into the grave after they found him to be dead, and his spirit had left his body and they put him in a borrowed tomb. He wasn't even, he didn't even count enough that he would get his own tomb. He borrowed a tomb of another man. Are you hearing me this morning? This Jesus that we're about to take communion of is trying to tell you something. I'm your advocate. I'm your representative. I'm your intercessor. And how I interceded for you is I kept getting lower and I kept getting lower and I went even to the depths of the earth for you. And I went into Hell for you, and I led captivity captive, and I brought back gifts for men. I went down in the depths, but even the grave couldn't hold him. Because if you humble yourself, God will lift you up. So he's your advocate. He's your advocate. He's your advocate. And he will intercede. He's interceding for you, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the upright, the just one, who conforms to the Father's will in every way. Every purpose of Jesus was to keep lowering himself. He kept lowering himself. The Bible says if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. You know what the trouble with a lot of us is? We're so high and we're so mighty, God can't reach us. But if you will humble yourself, the Lord shall lift you up. The Lord shall lift you up. Every purpose, every thought, everything Jesus did was about lowering himself so he could lift you up. He did everything he did for you. Everything he did, he did for you. Everything he did, he did for you. And you know what Christianity has become today? We have turned it all around and now we've made it all about us. And Jesus is asking us, will you let me reveal to you who I really am? And when you see me for what I am, it'll change your life. Because verse 2, can can you go to the last slide? Verse 2. And he, that same Jesus, is the propitiation. So not only is he the advocate, he's the propitiation. All right, I want you to begin to hand out the elements, would you please? I want you to think about that word, propitiation. That's a big word. It's a... It's a legal term, it's a, it's another, you know, just like advocate, it's a, it's a legal term and it has to do with the price that Jesus paid, that he was our sacrifice. It says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice that holds back the wrath of God that would otherwise be directed at us because of our sinful nature. Our worldness, our lifestyle, and not for our own, but also for the sins of believers throughout the whole world. 1 John 2.2. So get this, Jesus became the propitiation. He became the atoning sacrifice. Propitiation is the atonement. The atonement is how God put on him all the wrath that should have been yours and mine. Listen. Everybody listen. Everybody look at me. God put all of the wrath that should have been on us. He put all of his anger, all of his judgment, all of, all that, all the penalty that should have been on us. God put on Jesus as their propitiation for our sins. That's why we stand before God righteous and justified. Therefore, being justified by faith, justified just as if I'd never sinned. Why? Because Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. So here's the thing. As you hold in your hand this morning the bread and the cup of wine, it's grape juice, But as you hold that in your hand, what you're holding in your hand is God's message of atonement. A body which was broken for you and a blood covenant that was shed to enforce God's righteous love and forgiveness into your life. And there's power in this communion. So we're almost there. Almost everybody everybody got it. So what this means, now listen to me. What this means as we take part in this this morning that Jesus became your defender. Jesus took upon him all your sins. All of your guilt, all of your shame, and he becomes your advocate and he stands intercession for you and says, Father, there's your son, there's your daughter. No anger, no wrath, none. Thank you. So what we're going to do, I want you to take the bread in your hand first. And we're going to bless it and we're going to all take it together. Father, we thank you for this bread which represents the broken body, and you said, Lord, that this body was broken for us, and as often as we do this, we should do this in remembrance, Lord, remembrance of the broken body which was taken all the way to the cross and put in a tomb, dead, resurrected back to life again. Lord, you identified so much by going so low so that you could bring us up and bring us into an exalted position with you. Today I rebuke the enemy and his sin consciousness off people's lives and their brokenness, God, that all they think about is what where the areas that they're broken. Today we receive healing into our lives because of the body of Jesus. Bless this bread. Take it and eat right now, please. Then Jesus took the cup He said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. It's the new covenant. It's a new covenant. The covenant where I said I would take out of their heart the hearts of stone, and I would write my laws in their heart and give them a heart of flesh that everyone will know me from the least to the greatest. The covenant is that we become so identified with you that we become the sons and the daughters of God, and you no longer hold our trespasses against us, but you cleansed us, forgave us, healed us, restored us. We take this cup, we bless it in Jesus' name. Take the cup and drink it. Would you like you to stand? They're going to sing this chorus or this song. Defender. I want you to please, please give us, take a minute here. Reverence the Lord and very, limit the moving. See, there's a revelation here that some people need to get. Because you've been trying to defend yourself. There's an old saying that says a man who becomes his own lawyer has a fool for a client. You don't have to defend yourself. You have a defender. You don't have to justify yourself. He has justified you. And some of you have been working hard to try to to prove yourself worthy. You can stop right now, right today, and walk into your advocacy with Jesus, your intercessor. Who represents you? Go ahead. Let's worship God. Thank you for listening to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at CityPoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church.